Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 994 of the Juicebox podcast. Today's guest is a returning podcast guest who is going to help me talk about the way people learn, the way our brains take in information, and the way it's taught to us by the people who are doing the teaching. While you're listening today, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're looking for a Dexcom, Omnipod, if you want to try US Med, a contour meter, learn more about touchedbytype1.org. Maybe, in fact, you want to get better help. Or save 40% off your order at CozyEarth.com. If you need any of those things, or you just want to drink some AG1, please use my links. They're in the show notes of your podcast player and at JuiceBoxPodcast.com. And these are the companies who sponsor the show day in and day out, year after year. If you want any of these things, or even interested in learning more, using my link is really helpful. I appreciate your consideration. The podcast is sponsored today by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service and is 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. BetterHelp.com forward slash juicebox. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. And when you use my link, you'll save 10% on your first month of therapy. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. Talk to them however you feel comfortable, text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit, for any reason at all, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. And the best part for me is that with BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. And you're going to get more scheduling flexibility and a more affordable price. BetterHelp.com forward slash juice box. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash juice box. Save 10% on your first month of therapy. All right, we're recording. And I think that even though I've spoken with you twice on the podcast, it would be smart of me to ask you to say your first name for me. Sure. My first name is Tsipora. All right. I'm already, don't worry. You and I are going to talk 10, 15 more times in my life. And I'm, and I'm, and one day I won't go like it's T and then an, uh-huh. a Z. And what's the sound that that makes? Uh-huh. It's, it's like the, like the sound of hot oil hitting a pan. Zora. Tsipora. But then the P's there too. And the I, I need all the letters. Yeah. I mean, it's it's phonetic if you know how to make the first sound, and then the rest of it just sort of unfolds. Sephora. Yeah, perfect. Boom, bitches. Well, I got it. It's like Sephora, but with a T and a Z. I'm on it. Right. Yeah. All right. So you are, by the way, you've now been on the show once, recorded another episode that people haven't heard yet, and yes. you're back because I'm going to embarrass you a little bit. Great. You are low-key one of the smartest people I've ever talked to on the podcast. And, and I mean low key because you don't you don't throw it at me. You don't throw it at people when you're talking. But I feel like I feel like you're a muscle car that's cruising down the street at like 40 miles an hour. Does that make sense? I mean, that is a visual I've never had about myself. But thank you. Well, now it is. Great. <laughs> so um, I'm just very interested in picking through something that I don't want people to turn it off when they hear me <laughs> When, like when when they hear me say this, don't be like, "What is this?" Never mind. But just listen for a minute. It's called Bloom's Taxonomy. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And why are you a good person to speak to about this? Well, Bloom's Taxonomy is a way of thinking about learning. And so, anybody who's in an education field, whether it's like primary school education, college, and other kinds, I think has had some exposure to this, mm -hmm. but it gives us a framework to think about how people take in new information and use it. Okay. And when, when I intersected it 
I don't know when for the first time, I thought kind of, I kind of flipped it backwards in my head. I said, oh, this is how people are being taught. So like, whereas you would think of it from like a, a teaching perspective of, oh, we're going to, we'll, we'll, um, put these six steps into place and we'll use these words to try to get people to remember, understand, mm -hmm. apply the, mm -hmm. these things. Right. What I saw was not manipulated. Don't, if that comes out, if this comes out this way, I don't mean it that like that, but, but this is how people are approached when they're taught something. They don't realize it's happening very likely, but mm -hmm. they are being approached by educators this way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And I figure if this is a thing that Bloom came up with this in the forties, I think. And, yeah, early 50s. Okay, and it's been manipulated a tiny bit. I think things have been reordered once, and they, they changed some wording on some things. Um, but the idea has been around for 75 years, is what I'm yes. going to say. And it's a pretty good way of teaching people things. It's the way that people learn kind of mirrored back at them. And anyway, when I, I don't know how I saw it the first time, because I am not an educated person. I think we all know that if we're listening to the podcast. And um, when I intersected the idea, I thought, oh, I did this with the pro tips and the bold beginning stuff, and I didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, I think maybe there's a way here to let people in on it, the people listening to the podcast, um, sure. you know, so that maybe they can, I don't know if they understand why it's being taught to them this way or presented to them this way, maybe that would help them pick it up better, I guess sure. was my thinking. Um, sure. How, how do you use it <clears throat> professionally? Well, I'm going to get out front and say, especially because I know there was already some discussion in the private Facebook group about this, there is sort of a counterculture about Bloom's taxonomy that it's antiquated, that it leaves out some important domains. Mm -hmm. But I think many of us who are teachers look at it as a a way to demonstrate the different domains of learning and understanding and that we probably need to use all of them. I think probably the biggest criticism, and maybe we'll talk about this, is that learning isn't necessarily all in a straight line and in a certain order. Mm -hmm. So Bloom's taxonomy makes it look like these things have to happen in a certain sequence. You have to get a bunch of information and be able to recall it in order to then demonstrate understanding or explain ideas. Whereas I think a lot of us in the real world sort of enter learning at a lot of different places in this little pyramid that you're probably looking at. And we need all of them. So I just wanted to say that first. Okay. Yeah. And by the way, I'm not here like ringing some bell and I was like, you know, whatever Bloom's taxonomy is, they, they're not paying me. I no, just, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I, I just... I just thought it was interesting that it never occurred to me that there was a way I was being taught. Yes. Now, it doesn't mean that I would learn that way. As a matter of fact, I was a terrible student. So maybe this isn't how my brain works at all. Um, yep. And but I still think the ideas are here, right? Like if you yes. if you apply them to diabetes. So I guess. Yes. I mean, how long have you had type one? I've had type one for 42 years. That's a long time ago. That's um, a long time. Yeah. I just interviewed somebody yesterday, 50 years, and um, it was very interesting to hear his process. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, when you were diagnosed, the world that diabetes was is not any longer. Correct. Right. And so there's a moment when you say, I'm going to try this more modern way, and I think what happens is you have some of this already, right? Like you've been analyzing things your whole life with diabetes. Um, yes. You know, you had to remember a ton of stuff that you didn't know before you got type one. Right. Uh, you know, after you use it for, after you've seen it and you over and over again, it's happening to you, you begin to understand it. Then all of a sudden you can kind of flip that understanding around and apply it, make some analysts and, you know, analyze things, say, oh, I did this and then this happened. Maybe next time I'll change it. I think that's, but you had to teach that to yourself. And yes. And as much as I want to think that people with type one are being taught these things, I, I, I don't think they are. So, I mean, by some doctors, there's some terrific doctors out there. Don't get me wrong. But far and away, I meet too many people who are told, not told anything or, mm -hmm. you know, given kind of very limited things, tools to start with. So, sure. So can you go over the, it's a pyramid, right? But it's set up in six steps. Can you go over them for me? 
Absolutely. So at the base of the pyramid um, is the domain. These are all sort of cognitive uh, elements, the way we think about things. Um, so that first biggest layer is remembering and recall. So this is pretty basic, like what is diabetes? What is insulin? It is sort of more like what you'd be expected to regurgitate on a test mm -hmm. that just demonstrates like you've got the idea, but that you just have to recall it or spit it back out. You just have to remember it, okay. define it maybe. Okay. So that that's the first concept of Bloom's, which is you need, you need to recall facts and basic concepts, be able to yep. def define them, you know, I, I guess there's more to it than that, right? Memorize it, define it, repeat it, state it. Yep. I have it written down here. I should be looking at it. Um, okay, so now once you're comfortable that that's it as a teacher, you move to understand? Correct, or comprehension. So in this way, we might ask people to demonstrate um, you know, their understanding of something by saying, well, how would a low blood sugar uh, lead to these symptoms? Or how would a high blood sugar cause complications? Mm -hmm. How would I interpret, you know, what my Dexcom is telling me and, um, you know, figure out what to do based on what it's what it's saying? So not only am I remembering it and can I define it, which is very kind of cold and clinical, a definition, but I can describe it, discuss it, and you can see uh, as the as the teacher, maybe the doctor, you mm -hmm. can see that I have a grasp of it. Yes. And I'm putting it back into my own words and giving it, giving it context from the way I understand it. Yes. I'm going to like insert a thought bubble here too. Like I know I've talked in other podcast recordings about just sort of the relationship between patients and healthcare providers and how our visits are not always set up to really give us room to say back what we understand or mm -hmm. to demonstrate our capability to apply something. I don't think that's the fault of the person sitting in the chair in front of the computer, but you know, so much of our visit time is spent receiving information as opposed to demonstrating understanding. So it is a cue for me that different kinds of visits with different kinds of people will give us sort of more or better room to do these steps. I wonder if you even need to be with a person to demonstrate the understanding. Couldn't it be an online quiz? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So, so like putting this into real, like into real diabetes terms and people's experiences, you're diagnosed, they throw a bunch of words at you. Yeah. This is insulin. These are your syringes. We're going to bolus. We're going to basal. We're going to do this. And you're like, uh, it's all overwhelming. You don't, yeah, I don't think you really recall any of it. I've described it on the podcast is as it's like someone walks up to you with a big garden shovel, whacks you in the side of the head and starts asking you math questions. Right. Yeah. And, and you're like, I don't know what two plus four is. Like, please stop. Right. Please stop. Right. Um, but then we come back to that next event, that next doctor's visit. That is what they're doing, isn't it? This is what's happening. It's just not working because they do. They start to quiz you a little bit and they, they try to get you to recall some things to talk to them. That is what's happening. But the problem is what? That they send you home. They're not there. There's no one to ask. There's nothing to refer to. And you don't know if what you're doing is right or not. So how do you know if you understand it? You mean aside from listening to the podcast? Well, this is not yeah, a, well, yeah, 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 of course. I mean, listen, we're not here to tell people I'm a super genius. I'm a regular, right, right, I'm a right. regular genius, but it's, <laughs> but, but no, but the idea that for most people, they don't have that. They also don't know this is what's happening to them. And I think that's right. kind of the bigger problem is that you're still frazzled because it, it because what this chart doesn't take into account when you're talking about illness is you're not just sitting in a room like just hearing some facts and going oh I'll remember that 1492 we sailed the ocean blue I'll write that down you know like you're not you're not just right. doing that you're you're going through a personal crisis and That's right. yeah and it could be that your health is in question it could be that your loved one's health is in question That's right Yeah it's not some simple thing that's where it falls short. Well, and I think too, that's why, you know, this we're focusing really on sort of brain stuff um, as it relates to thinking and information. But all of the things that you just described that complicate all of that is all in the feeling domain. It's all in the affective domain that a lot of educators don't integrate. Like Bloom's Taxonomy originally included that domain. Did it? But Yeah. Okay. 
So like our opinions, our fears, our worries, you know, those things influence the way we take in and use information all the time. Mm -hmm. When I read posts uh, in the Facebook group or I listen to the podcast, so much of people's stories is shaped by all of that. It's not just about the rote memorization or can I develop a sick day plan, but it's really like, holy crap, I just got hit in the head with a shovel and now I don't know what to do. Right. Yes, or even if I could figure out what to do, I'm pretty frozen in feeling overwhelmed and terrified right now. And so I, I think, you know, one of the main criticisms of Bloom's Taxonomy includes that it it sort of looks at every learner as the same kind of person and doesn't give as much regard for what are all those influences that make us more or less able to take in that information mm. and to use it in a helpful way. It removes the humanity from it. Yeah. Yeah, but... If you, but I'm trying to, in devil's advocate, if you apply the humanity to it, then you might take the learning out of it because we might all get stuck on how we feel and never get to the understand, apply, analyze, et cetera. So that's where the doctors are falling short then in, in, in my estimation. So, you know, we blurt the facts out at you and mm -hmm. then we bring you back to see if you understand them. But in between there, that you should be directed to anything, therapy, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. online support, Go just blabber to somebody, like mm -hmm. talk and get out how you feel and then find some level of comfort or pathway in return. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what's even more challenging, maybe the way I see it is that all of these things are happening in real time and all of the needs need to be met in the same moment. Yeah. So, you know, many healthcare providers do a nice job of talking about this is really overwhelming. Um, you know, we're here to support you or they schedule close visits. I mean, I do think people are increasingly aware of that feeling component. And it's one snapshot in time that they get to sit with us. And all those other 15-minute segments or hour-long segments in our lives between visits feels like forever. Yeah. And, and the doctors are unaware of what happened to you. They can only assume they must start doing that thing where they apply what's happening to most people to you. Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then it gets away from them there. Sure. So, so this whole, so that, so the reason I'm doing this with you now is that um, Jenny and I are busy in the background putting together a series for physicians. Mm -hmm. And um, it'll kind of take this perspective of like, you know, how to how could doctors be helping people more uh, better? But at the same time, if you're a patient listening to it, we'll put you in the mindset of this is what I should be expecting. Like this That's is, right. the, the, you know, this is the path someone's leading me on, even though I can't see it ahead of me. And mm -hmm. just to know that this is their expectations and what they're trying to accomplish for me, I think would be a big deal. I don't oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I don't know that it wouldn't be prudent just to say to somebody, hey, these are the steps we're going to try to take so that you right. know, like, we're not going to take them all today, but this is the path we're going on. Because That's right. Yeah, I think that helps. Okay, so. I mean, even, I was just saying, when when I think back to even my diagnosis, you know, which we, we've already established was in like the dinosaur ages, um, I, I think I had like a week long admission in the hospital. Really? Where my family, I mean, it was the 80s. Yeah. And I was a sick kid. So they brought in my family. They did all the teaching. They included all these family members. I had this, you know, the benefit of so much more time than I think a lot of families have now. There are families on the on the webpage or on the Facebook group who bypass an admission altogether. Yeah. And yeah. so when I think about how all of this has evolved in the last number of decades, not just with the technology, but also with how much time is spent up front to do all of the teaching and assessment and guidance and support. I, I do think it's really different now than it used to be. Mm. Well, you know what? It's going to morph again because COVID is going to, mm -hmm. COVID's going to teach the doctors that a lot of people didn't even come into the hospital and they were still mm -hmm. okay. So it's going to push mm -hmm. it more towards virtual and which, mm -hmm. by the way, I don't think, I don't know. I, I can make an argument either way. Arden saw a doctor for a couple of years for diabetes through virtual because of COVID, and it didn't change her care at all. And at the same time, we weren't looking for information. Sure. You know, you had enough of what you needed to do some of the other levels. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's so where does this fall apart? If is it in the qual to tell people what you do for a living? I'm sorry. Um, I teach and train medical providers, healthcare providers of all kinds, but I'm a family therapist by training. Okay. So is where we're falling apart 
is it the the experience or the quality of the person doing the teaching? Does that hurt? Like, because we're always training new people. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like the person you see in I don't I don't know what the numbers are. I'm I'm guessing, but a nurse you see in an emergency room, for example. I would think an emergency room nurse has a fairly short lifespan. I, I, I bet you that's a really crazy job. And I bet you people don't keep it, for the most part, for 30 years. So you're probably seeing a lot of new people or people, like, cycling through. And then in your endo's office, yes, you, you know, like, listen, Arden goes, went to, you know, a quality children's hospital for her endocrinology care from two years old to 18 years old. And I can still count on one, two, three. Arden's had five nurse practitioners. Mm-hmm. Five. And the same doctor for, she had the same uh, the same doctor for the first, uh, maybe, I don't know, until she was maybe 15. So, the, you know, the first 11, 12, 13, 14 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. I don't know that she saw that doctor five times in that time. So my point is, is that if five nurse nurse practitioners or CDEs or whatever the hell they're calling them now, CDCES, I'm not sure. Um, if, if that many people cycled through, then that means that those people are coming in new. They were green every mm-hmm. time. And I could tell they were. Mm-hmm. You know, So now you're starting over again every time. It's not like you're getting this increased understanding with this wizened person who's been with you for 15 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even as you're describing that phenomenon, it occurs to me that we are focused on the person disseminating information as opposed to the other side of the equation, which is the patient and family on the other side. In my ideal world, there would be some easy way for that person's knowledge, capability, you know, evaluative skills to be able to follow them from practitioner to practitioner so that it's not really starting all over depending on the skill and capability and experience of the practitioner. So if I get a new NP, you know, in my ideal world, there will be a way to say, okay, Sapora's already mastered these things. This is sort of where she's focused now. She runs into trouble here and that that person could pick up the ball and run with it. I think we don't really have as much of that in our healthcare system in general. We probably don't have it in education either. But those sorts of ways of putting the patient and family at the center and following the next steps based on what they need, I, I think is probably where some of it falls down. How do you imagine that working? Ugh. I mean, I, I I am naive for sure and maybe fantastical, but like if there was some way even in our health records to be able to have a not a report card, but a file that says, I have observed this person to be able to do X, Y, and Z, or this is what we have talked about and here's how it's worked. I mean, some way for the story to sort of be recorded in a way that gives guidance to the next steps, the way that a lot of healthcare people document their notes, um, you know, they document for lots of different reasons. It doesn't always serve as an effective handoff of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't always give us good feedback about what is this person's cutting edge in terms of their diabetes learning. And um, it makes it difficult, I think, for the next educator who picks up that case to start where the patient is. In the alternative, the next person that picks up that kid or that grown up might open the visit by saying, let's just take a look at whether you want to use this taxonomy or something else. Let's take a look at where you think you are and where you've already been in your diabetes care and let's focus on what you need next. Right. I mean, that would be revolutionary. Yeah, almost like a black belt system that the, like, you know what I mean? Like what belt are you? You are a yellow belt with one stripe Yeah. now. I mean, right. Right. And then that way, when, when you got to the new doctor or the new practitioner came in, started working in your office, they could look at immediately and say, oh, this is a, I understand about their level of proficiency. Mm-hmm. What I think is tricky about it is, you know, something you you alluded to earlier in the discussion. You know, when I got diagnosed, I was on a regimen that looks zero, like what my current regimen looks like. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so with every new technologic advance and pharmacological advance, there is something that happens to my expertise and proficiency. Like, it's not that I de-skill, but it's like, oh, I got to make room for a new way of thinking mm-hmm. to learn about algorithm pumping made me feel real stupid for a long time because I had been used to my sort of 
you know, whatever the five and a quarter inch floppy disk way of <laughs> doing of insulin management. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and so suddenly I'm like, whoa, I feel very disoriented. I feel novice again. But now that I've got that, I feel much more in control and can do other kinds of skills and applications that I didn't used to be able to do. So the the dynamic fluid nature, I think, of all the advances is great and also probably makes us feel dumb lots of the time. Right. I wonder what stops that because children don't feel dumb around technology, right? Mm -hmm. And it's because they're immersed with it. Mm -hmm. Although it is interesting that the the more stupid proof computers and phones get, the less people understand how to actually use them or how they mm -hmm. operate un under mm -hmm. the surface. I, mm -hmm. I, I heard Arden say to me the other day, she goes, I don't understand things that use Wi-Fi. I was like, okay, that's interesting. She's a bright kid. And mm -hmm. and I I've had, I don't know if I've ever said this on here. I don't I have two children and they're 23 and 19 at this point and my son's really like a bright kid and you know, math-based in his mind and great thinker. Arden's a, a pretty deep thinker and um I don't think under penalty of death either of them could explain what Wi-Fi is to. Mm -hmm. So if we're in that situation where Yes, I'm more comfortable being a user, but I am not an operator. If that mm -hmm. makes if that makes sense, yeah. Um, yeah. how do we help people with their diabetes to continue to grow with technology, but give them enough of an understanding of it that if they had to fix it on their own or ask the right questions to get to a fix that they could, and that might that might end up being a hurdle. That's something actually mm -hmm. Jenny and I have talked about privately that she's concerned about. Um, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think if somebody doesn't already have, number one, like some basic skills in problem solving, and I'm not trying to like come at anybody, but lots of us never got good training in how to systematically solve problems. Mm -hmm. So if we don't have that, and if we don't understand the components of the bigger the bigger thing, the bigger concept, the the way a pump works, the way basal insulin works, the way boluses work, then we're not going to be able to do that analysis to be able to kick into gear when something goes in an unexpected way. So is it possible that the thing I've set up with the podcast really is what's necessary, which is you get enough, you get the facts, and then you get to listen until you understand, then you go into your own life and apply it. And then you look back and see what you did. You analyze it. Um, and then I don't really see you anymore. Like mm -hmm. I, I probably, so we didn't go through this whole thing, right? But it's remember, mm -hmm. understand, apply, analyze, evaluate, and create. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's do the rest of them. So apply, okay. give me apply. Okay, so apply is where you would, for example, be able to say, um, I need to exercise. I need to manage my activity level. I need to, um, you know, add a routine that I don't currently have. Hmm. Um, I will be able to create a plan that demonstrates an understanding of how it's going to affect my blood sugar and then adjust my basal rates accordingly. Okay. And then the next step, analyze, draw connections among ideas. What does mm -hmm. that, what does that mean? So this is, I actually think you push a lot of this, which might encourage, for example, somebody to identify patterns. So you would encourage people to be good scientists and to take note, whether it's for a particular food or looking at basal testing, to give them the, the sort of lenses to say, I've noticed this pattern. And because of that, I want to make this adjustment. Mm. You, you, again, you're you're easily 40, like 40 IQ points smarter than I am. And I appreciate you treating me like a regular person. But um, do you see it online, right? When people ask a question, I don't respond with the answer. I ask another question to get them to think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's what I'm trying to accomplish there. Like, what I think is hard about that, I do see that. Mm -hmm. And what I think is hard about the Facebook group in general is that people are coming to that place in all kinds of sort of stages of readiness and capability to do the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so if I want to like stoke somebody's ability to think it through themselves, um, I'm going to do what you did, which is say, okay, well, what would you do next? Or what data would you want to look at in order to make this decision? But some people in the moment for all kinds of reasons just need the answer. 
And it's very hard to gauge in an online community. It's much easier to sort of navigate in a one-on-one or live. It, yeah. And it, what it requires online is for the person, the, the question asker, mm-hmm. to respond again yes. and, and be honest. Like, hey, I don't have time for that. The house is on fire. You know, right. like, and then I'll go, okay, well, I would look at this, this, and this. Yes. But I can also tell when they're interested in the back and forth. And also there are some people, and I don't know how it breaks out if it's stress in their life, you know, if the room they've got left in their brain at the end of the day or whatnot. But some people want it. They just want you to tell yep. them. They don't yep. care, right? They they like that the phone works. They don't care what the Wi-Fi is. Yep. Um, there are some people who want to understand. And there yep. are some people who are taxed in a way where they'd like to understand, but they just kind of can't. Yep. Yeah. That's right. It makes me wonder as, as whether, no matter what it is, healthcare, teaching a four-year-old, you know, something, whatever you're trying to do. I wonder how much of it at the end, like evaluate, create almost the last half of it is not as much about being taught as it is about like learning on your own, like being off on your own. Like, I wonder how much of this humanity thing is we put all the ingredients in for the soup and we're going to turn the water up and we'll shut it off and we just have to trust it's going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much of living with it is all of those other things, particularly at the levels of analysis and evaluation, but mm-hmm. probably also application too. Mm-hmm. So you can have all the right inputs, but given the sort of dynamic nature of, you know, every day, plus or minus hormones, plus or minus illness, plus or minus stress, plus or minus other health conditions, we have to be sort of nimble on our feet at those other levels to be able to navigate it. And then if it doesn't go well, you know, the skill to be able to say, okay, I had a sick day. That was a dumpster fire. Why did it end up that way? Requires a certain level of like, I know to look back and to analyze it so that I can learn for the next time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, you know, in, in healthcare encounters that we have, I don't know how often that's sort of a regular feature But if you were to ask anybody on the Facebook group or anybody who's been on the podcast, how much of diabetes living has gone exactly the way you expected, I'm sure everybody would be like zero. So these other skills I think are really vital. But like if you don't have that foundational knowledge, you can't do it. I wonder where in this process, remember, understand, apply, analyze, evaluate, create, where in that process, whether you're a physician helping somebody with type one diabetes, or, you know, you're, you've tried to teach somebody to build a a structure to keep themselves safe and warm. When do you recognize they're not going to get this, but that doesn't mean they don't deserve to be safe and warm or Mm -hmm. have a good blood sugar. Mm -hmm. Like when do you jump in and say, okay, this we've reached your ceiling Mm -hmm. and, and maybe we can get you farther in time. And I I still believe that that's true. Um, but we don't want to waste health minutes right now. Yeah. Is it is it yeah. watching them not be able to analyze and evaluate? Is that about where you go, uh-oh, they're not getting it? This is a really delicate question, I think, because there's lots of reasons why we might dismiss or have bias against somebody. We might assume that they can do something, but they really can't. Or we might assume that they can't, which is dangerous, too. Mm-hmm. And so what I would love to see more of is some routine way, and I'm not subscribing to any particular method for healthcare people, educators, providers, to be able to like assess with a patient and their family, like, how do you learn best? Will you let me know when you've had too much? Can you let me know when you need help? Like there are certain things that I think will cue me to better care for you if I know those things up front. Right. But so much of healthcare in this country is like, This is what we have to offer, and you are one of however many patients I see, and this is how we're going to do it. So I I think if we can move toward more personalization of the way we do the care, not necessarily the science or the algorithms or the evidence-based protocols, but more like for every person who sits in front of me, let me stack a couple of minutes up front to, to do that assessment with you. And those are important minutes to invest. I, it's a hard sell sometimes to very busy people with busy clinics. I know that. But I think it would help us do better. I have to tell you, the more I talk about this and think about it, the more I come to the conclusion that you can get to more personalization by grouping people together. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's actually quite a bit out there about the benefits of group medical visits. And 
Um, there are some clinicians who say this is the way to do it. You do it in community. You do the knowledge dissemination first. You get all of that out front to a group of 10 or 12 or 15 people. Mm -hmm. And then you can spend the rest of the time on analysis and having them support each other and how they do it. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom to that. I've seen it work so many times. So I'll go speak to a group of people. I don't know who they are. I don't speak to them first, right? I don't know their stories. Sometimes, uh, no kidding, two, three, four, five hundred people in a room. And I'll give them kind of a primer for my thinking about diabetes in a first hour. In a second hour, I'll give them some more kind of drill down on some specific topics. And then I hang around in the afternoon and I'll just stand up on a stage and be like, go ahead and ask questions. Like, you know, yep. then that's it. And so they yep. see me maybe for three hours in a day. And over the next, it's not the first two months, but over the next like third, fourth, fifth, sixth month, the amount of like emails from people that are just like, oh my God, I just want to say how great everything's going. I appreciated seeing you there. And like, you know, thanks for making me think about it a different way. I, there's no follow-up. I never see right. them again, but you've, right. you've launched them in the right direction. Yeah. And then you kind of trust that the soup's going to come together and, yep. and you can't, you know, I, I know you can't save everybody. It should be your goal, but you're not going to. Like you, sometimes you just won't intersect people at the right moment in their life. Mm-hmm. But but I still think that's the best way to get the most people to the finish line. It, I do it, think that's it's some of the impact of the podcast, frankly. Yeah. You know, the scale of it is reaching a ton of people. And then you're hearing from people to say, hey, this really influenced the way I think about it, or I didn't know this before, and that's been a game changer. You're demonstrating it in the way that you're doing it. I also tried really hard to, like, I don't I don't need your reviews. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't need you to come tell me every little thing you think I don't do right or wrong. I use people's feedback, but I do use people's feedback significantly. Yeah. So, But I use it to see where I'm headed. They're almost like my like a map, like a celestial map. I'm like, okay, like I sent out all these stars in the world and I'm seeing where they're going. And I'm like, okay, this did what I thought it would do. Mm-hmm. Or this didn't work. And I'll like drop it. I'll, I've mm-hmm. started things before and been like, that did not go the way I thought. Like, boom, go mm-hmm. on, get rid of it. And, right. you know, and, um, but when you start seeing people heading again, where you meant for them to go and where they wanted to go, you you have to at some point say to yourself, that works, do more of that. But you also have to be able to say that didn't work, stop, or I'm the wrong messenger or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you know, because listen, there's, I'm sure there are plenty of people saying things similar to me, but they're not gaining traction. Mm-hmm. And, and it, and, and track by traction, I mean, like, it's so, I, I don't mean it like this, I, it, but it's a measurement, right? Like you have mm-hmm. to, like, if something's working, people tell their people about it. Mm-hmm. So if you've been making a podcast or a you know, web series or been recording one minute videos on Instagram for six years and nobody's it's not growing, well, then it doesn't it might not mean it's the information. It could be mm-hmm. anything like you have no idea. It could be the color of the wall behind you. People might not like the nasally tone in your voice. Like There's no way to know, but mm-hmm. it's not working. And you and if you really want to help people, then you have to reassess. And say, mm-hmm. okay, well, I've got good information here. I'm not getting it to them for some reason. And doctors have to do that same thing. Like if if you're, well, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's a question behind that observation too, which is. Hey guys, just jumping in to remind you that one of our sponsors, BetterHelp, is offering 10% off your first month of therapy when you use my link, betterhelp.com forward slash juice box. That's better H-E-L-P.com forward slash juice box. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service. It is 100% online, boasts over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists, and you can talk to them however you want, text, chat, phone, or on video. You can actually message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp.com forward slash juice box. Save 10% on your first month. question behind that observation too, which is, you know, people who are operating at like a really high level are also going to say, what about that didn't work? What about that did work? So I'm going to do more of the thing that did work until it doesn't work. And then I'm going to think about why it didn't work here. And so whether that's at the patient level, like we have to do that all the time, but their level too. So why is it that when I do this visit in this way for a newly diagnosed family, 
Why did it go south with that kind of patient? You know, that level of analysis and curiosity, I think, helps them be more in line with that personalized approach that I was talking about. But I think they have to know to ask the question as opposed to saying, I'm doing what I always do. And the fact that it didn't work, I don't know why. Mm. You also have to be willing as the patient. You really need to be willing to say what's happening and not absolutely and not like keep secrets or be, be embarrassed or anything like that. And that's, I mean, again, over and over again for years now, I've talked to people who have grown up with diabetes and they get older and they'll start telling you about like, you know, my health is not where I want it to be. And I look back and, you know, I was, I make up numbers in a log book every, every time going to the doctor's office. And it, to me, that should have been an indication to the doctors. Like if you're a doctor and it's 1985 and you pick up a log book and you think all these are written in the same ink. <laughs> Yeah, right. This was this was did, just. Did you talk to my doctor from 1985? <laughs> that is so rude. <laughs> this is this is all in the same ink. This was clearly filled out in the parking lot. Instead of saying this person's not compliant, why not say, "Well, this isn't working for them." I wonder what might like. And by the way, you could just ask them. You could just say, "Hey, look, I, it feels like you didn't fill this book out accurately. Is there a better way we could be doing this?" Mm-hmm. You know, instead of just labeling them, writing something in their chart and being like, I did what I was supposed to do and they didn't do what they were supposed to do. So I guess they get to die. Like, that's a bizarre it, thing. You know what I mean? I mean, ju- just in the defense of current healthcare, I do think more people are moving in that direction now. Good. Yeah, I think the, the recognition of the person behind the condition is way more prominent now in medical training than it used to be, way more. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I'm sitting with a physician or a nurse practitioner or somebody who's learning, they are much quicker to wonder about what they're missing in that realm than, you know, than the kind of healthcare I experienced when I was six. Yeah. And, and all you have to do, that's terrific. All you have to do to, to freely wonder that is to accept that this is a doable thing for people. I think mm-hmm. that's what stops. In the past, I do I do think that's where that thinking came from. Like, oh, well, there's a person who gets it. And over here, we have a person who doesn't get it. Well, they don't get it, so we put them in a different pile. We, we put them in the gonna need a leg pile. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then you start treating them that way. And then it's, you stop trying to bring them along. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the, I think the podcast has taught me is that people come along at different speeds. So Uh, I've definitely had that experience as a patient, for sure. I mean, there's something very fresh that's coming to mind now where I think, you know, I I fired somebody because they they didn't see that I needed help coming along. They were just going to put me in another pile. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not trying to sound big and bad that I fired somebody, but it was not a good fit for me because what I really needed was for someone to recognize, oh, the reason you're having trouble with this is because it's scary or because you don't have enough information. Let me back up a couple steps rather than just tell you this is what I do. And if you can't do it, then you've got to go yeah. to this other yeah. place. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm sorry. So we recall our facts and basic concepts. We ex- were able to regurgitate these ideas, but not just regurgitate them, actually describe them, discuss them, explain them. Then we get to apply um, to be able to execute, implement, solve that kind of stuff. Analyze, I guess with diabetes is going to be the part where you start looking at your boluses and your blood sugars and your food and saying, you know, when I ate that, my blood sugar went up. When I ate that, it didn't, you know, that was 10 carbs. That was 10 carbs. Mm -hmm. Maybe, Maybe there's something about the quality of this food or the way my digestion works with this food or whatever that's, that's causing this issue. Now, after you've analyzed it, I would see my brain goes back to reapply, but that's not the next step, right? Like, well, it's only not the next step if you think that this is a linear model, if things have to go in order. I mean, that's part of why people say, oh, I'm not really sure this is a great model because we're going back and forth between these levels all the time. Mm -hmm. So your thought to go, okay, well, let me reapply it and try something different. That's 100% right. But I think, you know, the way Bloom's taxonomy was developed would say, oh, no, no, the next one is for you to evaluate or synthesize information to be able to do sort of the next higher level thing. I think real life is that it's much more fluid than that. Yeah, I would imagine you'd bounce back and forth between analyze and apply until you had outcomes you were looking at. And then you could, then the evaluation wouldn't be as much about, I guess, what this chart initially Mm -hmm. meant and more about you being able to look back step back and look and say, oh, well, here are the things I did that worked. 
So yep. I'll put these in my this works toolbox and I'll take the yep. things over that didn't work, put this in my didn't work toolbox. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's perfect. And then the create, to be honest, I don't know if that's really important to diabetes. I'm not sure unless I'm missing something like produce new or original work. Uh, I guess you. Could. I mean, when I see parents who say, oh, I created this type one diabetes tip sheet for my kid's classroom, that is a demonstration of that sort of skill. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't think we all have to do that to demonstrate that we've aced diabetes. Yeah. Like, that, I, don't, I don't think that's a thing. Uh, yeah. For me, once you've evaluated it and it's working, I, I would turn that little tip of that that pyramid if for diabetes. I'd, I'd turn that into go back and live your life now. Like, you're done. Yep. You understand diabetes now. Right. Yeah. And, and still stay flexible because things are going to happen. I mean, that's the... Uh, I, you know, I was going to say the bitch of it, but I don't feel comfortable cursing with you, even though I know you could, because I, again, I <laughs> think of you as an intellectual. Uh, but, 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 you know, the, the thing is, it's stuff's going to change. Like hormones will come into play, or even if you're, right. old, you're, you're older, your hormones might slow down or change, right. your activity could change. You're never going to be, you're never going to be at that spot where you're just Jay-Z sitting on the boat looking out into the chilling. Yeah, chilling. yeah, yeah. That's not yeah. gonna happen, right? But you right. might you you're gonna get moments of it where you're like, oh, I got this. Or when the wave comes in, you'll just say, I know what to do here. And you, and it won't even become I like that it, it becomes unconscious at some point. You know so not I mean? for nothing, but when you're thinking about, you know, talking with healthcare people about what some of the most important things are to teach about patients and living with diabetes, it's that. Like we, our aim is going to be to have periods of stability where you're like, I got this, I'm nailing it. I'm Jay-Z sitting on the boat. There are going to be times where things feel confusing, unexpected. We're going to teach you how to solve those moments too. Yeah. Like if somebody came to me with that about diabetes management, I would say they get people, they get how hard this is, and they get how many variables are in the mix. This is not, it's not linear. The learning's not linear for diabetes, especially. Right. Okay. This was very helpful. I appreciate you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Did I miss anything? Mm, I don't I don't think so. I well maybe let me add one other point. Go ahead. The other thing that I think is like woven throughout our conversation today, and it sounds like in the work you're doing with Jenny, it doesn't show up in Bloom's taxonomy, which has to do with the way we're connected to other people and the influence of those relationships on all of it. So if I'm in an environment or in a relationship or in a healthcare clinic where people are encouraging, they're telling me it's important and that I matter and they're invested in me, my motivation is going to be sort of stoked in that direction too. If I'm in a place where people are dismissive, don't care, think I'm making a big deal out of nothing, don't get it, it it's going to do something to my capability to take in new information and to do all these things. So I I just, I feel like that's important to say because I'm a relationship person. Mm -hmm. But I think healthcare people probably need to understand that too. And so do we as patients. We have to have people around us who are like in our corner saying, this matters, you matter, you can do it. I believe in you. We're going to help you get there. Okay. Can I keep you for a couple more minutes? Sure. Yeah. So I have the document open that Jenny and I are banging around in right now. And what I did was I went on to the private Facebook group and I said, what would you guys wish your doctors would have done or known? Like I kept it really kind of loose like that. And people came back with all kinds of examples. We broke, I broke the examples down into kind of like headers and I'm wondering if you wouldn't listen to them and see what I'm missing. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So um, as the steps I have diagnosis and hospitals kind of one and two. Um, I think right away after that, in my opinion, understanding insulin's got to be the first step. Mm -hmm. And I mean by that, like how it works. Like mm -hmm. you, you put it in here and it does this, it might not, it might take a little more time, you know, perhaps uh, if your blood sugar is higher, it won't be enough. Like that kind of like, like just bare bones understanding of insulin. And, mm -hmm. then, and then I think again, you know, three and four with that is, is food, right? The same idea. Like it's not just 10 carbs of this and 10 is 10 carbs of that. Um, you know, Cheetos are not going to be as easy to bowl as for as, you know, I don't know, something natural mm -hmm. and, and that now from there to me, understanding how to use your meter and quickly being told what a continuous glucose monitor is at the very least. Like I, if you want to slap it on somebody, I I'm for it in case anybody's wondering, but, um, 
but at least understanding what it is so that when the confusion comes, you can say, they did say there was this thing where I'd be able to see this so mm-hmm. that you can start imagining what what that would look like and maybe mm-hmm. cause you to ask about it. Mm-hmm. Then talking about pumping and understanding what a pump does so you can understand more about the manipulation of the insulin. But then right after that, I have humanity and mentality and then communication. Um, and that's sort of where I'm at at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, what am I missing that's glaring? Um, when you say communication, what do you have under that subheading? Let me scroll. It's a lot of scrolling. Sorry. Boom. Okay. So what I have is some people's responses and, and like quick notes that I've made under them. Um, I want my doctor to know that I am a whole person, not just a diabetic. This is not my whole life that it ebbs and flows. You already said that. How about that? Good job. Mm-hmm. Um, and that under it, I just wrote, treat me like a person and, mm-hmm. and moved on. Uh, when I was diagnosed in 84, it was so dire. They told me I'm going to probably go blind. My foot's probably going to fall off. I became jaded very quickly. And I was non-compliant, the person said. Mm-hmm. And then to avoid to avoid the pressure of this death, she didn't even go to an endo. She just went to a GP trying, mm. trying to just say like, all right, I know I got to go and get these prescriptions, but I mean, if I'm just going to die anyway, like, you know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I wrote under that is that hope is important and that initial messaging lasts forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish they told me about being bold. Um, uh, they talked about the podcast a little bit. And that I and my note under that is that goals can relieve stress. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like my doctor not to be so by the book, and that went on for a little bit. To that, I said to a doctor, "I think you you got to kind of turn yourself into a guru. Like if you're going to do this for people, you're not just changing tires on cars. Like you've mm-hmm. got to you got to know why they love the car, and mm-hmm. and you know you got to be part of the part of it, not just standing on the outside in a white coat." Um, I put here that honesty has got to be a bedrock of this whole thing um, based on somebody's text uh, that just said, if you don't know something as the doctor, please tell me because I'm sitting over here imagining that you're, that you're God, Mm -hmm. you know, and that everything you're saying is, is set in stone. Um, Anyway, it goes on like that. Think before you speak, um, meet people where they are, uh, create agency, um, this one was interesting about communication. This one talks about a teenager who goes to the doctor and is told over and over again, you're doing great. You're doing great. You're doing great. But the mom's like, she's not doing great. Mm-hmm. Like, you're A1C six and a half. It's good. It's not great. And there are mm-hmm. a lot of things I'm seeing at home that she should be doing that she's not and that they're hurting her physically, emotionally. But she goes to the doctor. The doctor gives her the old, Hey, 6.5A1C, you're doing great. And the mom says, what happens is we walk outside and anything I try to say after that is met with, I was just told by a professional healthcare person, I'm doing great. So leave me Mm -hmm. alone. And Mm -hmm. and that that's a problem. Um, Isn't that interesting? Because super. Yeah. yeah, Because it's so reversed of what you might imagine. Um, I, I wrote here that telling people they can't do something has no value at all. Uh, and that guilt is not a communication tool. Mm-hmm. So that's what I have for that section. Okay, those are all great. They could be chapters in your next book for sure. Um, I'll add a few others maybe okay. yeah, for please. consideration. I'm here. Um, one, I would probably call something like labels or documentation. And the reason I am raising this is because what somebody says to you in the room is one thing. And then what they put in your chart is another thing. Mm-hmm. So the language around being non-adherent, not com- non-compliant, out of control, whatever, those things have some cachet in the healthcare world. And sometimes the way people put that in their notes then becomes part of the narrative that gets shared with other people too. So I would want people to be aware of how what they write about me in the chart sort of precedes me and describes something about me that may or may not be the whole picture. Okay, so I have it. So I have it as labels or documentation, uh, language like non-compliant, et cetera, 
um, do better charting because your charting will pr precede patients and limit a full understanding of who they are. Yeah. I mean, and not for nothing, but I, I read the notes. You know, there has been a huge movement at the federal level to make it accessible to us as patients to be able to see the documentation from these visits. And so when I read something that I'm like, oh, that, mm, that doesn't feel great, it is adding a, a sort of dimension of complexity to my relationships with my healthcare people because I see either what they really think or I see how quickly they're moving or, you know, lots of things. So this is why I would never look at my wife's texts. <laughs> I'm sure she doesn't like me. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's good to know your audience there. But the second thing that I was going to say relates to that first thing, which is um, this is a relationship. So it's a relationship between the patient and the condition. It's a relationship between the patient and the healthcare provider. And one of the most important ingredients, I think, for any healthy relationship is having clear expectations, knowing what the other person can and can't do, does or doesn't prefer, how they work best, what their strengths are. But that goes in both directions. So some of the comments that you talked about already having gotten from the group echo that. Yeah. But it's about level setting. So even for someone to say, I'm not an expert on pumping. I work with, you know, CDEs who are. So I'm not going to focus on this. I'm going to focus on these other things. That is a clear expectation. But so too would it be for me to say, I just want you to know this last six months since I've last seen you has been really stressful. And I'm open to what we're going to talk about, but I have not been able to focus on diabetes. Mm -hmm. So those those are markers of like, how safe do I feel in this relationship to be upfront with you about that? Okay. All right. I got it. Um, Sorry, I no, use a lot of words. Don't, don't, don't worry. I broke it down a little bit for myself so I can follow. Um, okay. Relationships, person to person, person to diabetes, mm -hmm. clear expectations, level setting, need to feel safe. Um freedom to freedom to express things that you know the doctor doesn't want to hear and my explanation of that is example i didn't do the thing mm -hmm. i said i was gonna do um I mean, that's psychological safety. Like, can I can I say something without fear of you guilting or shaming or yelling at me? Okay. So I'm just going to put psychological safety. You know, uh, I do this, um, this week OV diary. Yeah. And like last week, I didn't lose any weight. And I sat down to do the recording. And I think I just said, this last week didn't go great. Mm -hmm. I made some bad choices and I'm um, going to inject the Wegovy and I'll be back in a week. I think the whole recording is like a minute and a half long. And I injected it. I got up and I shut the microphone off. I was mm -hmm. like, I was like, that's all I had. Honestly, I, I could have sat there and pontificated and made up reasons why it didn't go the way I thought. And I actually have some real thoughts about why it didn't go the way I thought. But that week, I didn't have it in me to share it with anybody. I was just, mm -hmm. I was just like, right. I ate some stuff I shouldn't have. I'll see you guys in a week. And by the way, I didn't gain any weight. I just didn't lose any weight. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I see that as like kind of that psychological safety. Idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm trying very hard not to give you a job because there's part of me that wants to record this with Jenny <laughs> and then let you listen to them and come on and do 15 minutes on every episode. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I mean, if you want to chew on it, I'm happy to do it. This is like, I enjoy this stuff. A bunch. Good. So, yeah. Well, you've got everything I need. You got a good Thank microphone you. and you're smart. And Thank I love you. talking to you. Appreciate it. I do too. Yeah. I feel like we're friends who will never meet each other. Like if yeah, we, I mean, maybe we would. Really? Well, I mean, like if we I met at a dinner party, we would, we'd be okay off in a corner. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I do really enjoy this. Um, Appreciate it. I thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Well, a huge thanks to Sephora for coming on the show and sharing her insights with us. I also want to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast. And remind you that at my link, betterhelp.com forward slash juicebox, you can save 10% off your first month of therapy. And you'll get that savings just by signing up through that link.
Heads up, a little programming note coming. Episode 999 is coming up quickly. It will be with Arden. It'll be her third appearance on the show. And then at episode 1000, I'm going to begin delivering the remastered Diabetes Pro Tip series. It sounds terrific. Completely remastered. Audio is amazing. Same great Diabetes Pro Tip series. Uh, I can't explain to you how I'm going to do it, but I was going to explain it in 999. I'll explain it two different ways. Um, here's what I think I'm going to do. Episode 1000 probably comes out on a Monday. So we're going to do 1000, 1001, 1002, five days in a row, right? You're going to get five, the first five episodes of the Pro Tip series. And then over that weekend, the rest of the series will be delivered over the weekend. So that way the episodes will be concurrent in your player for when you want to go back and visit them again. Right now they're spread out all over the place because they were recorded uh, at different times and, and, produced at different times. Now they'll all be in one place, so they're very findable. Uh, I hope you can excuse me for the way I have to put them out, but you know this is the only way that podcast apps let you do this. So in order for me to get them concurrent in your player, I have to put them out in order, but obviously I don't want to take a, you know a month to put them all out. So we're going to do the first five over the week, and then the rest will come over the weekend. They'll all be in your player if you want them or not, doesn't matter. Uh, and then that following Monday, the next episode will go up and the podcast will be back to the way it usually is. So be a little special for a week, a little different, and then right back to it. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.